How are you? The singing was beautiful, wasn't it? You're very welcome. And we are happy that God has brought us together and we thank God so it's good to begin our night with such joyful thanksgiving. Now, it is clear to me that Jesus is always revealing himself into the church. Jesus wants us to know him and to understand him. In order for us to know him, we must be committed to a relationship with Jesus. We have to spend time with him every day. This is what I think of as the vertical relationship. Somewhere in our life each day, we must be with him. We must pray with our hearts, speaking to Jesus of our fears, our disappointments, our pain, and of our hope. Only through spending time with Christ in this way will we come to know ourselves. Now to help us learn about his love, God introduced us to the Lord's sacred heart. His nature is love, of course, and the result of love will always be mercy. So later, God revealed himself as the divine mercy. We have the picture here. One day, as I studied the image of the divine mercy, I asked myself, how many rays come from this heart? And so I tried to count them. But this was impossible, because what appeared to be one ray, upon examination, melted into 10 and into a hundred, and into a thousand. I could see that the number of rays of light that came from the heart of Jesus were for me not countable. I couldn't count them, and I understood a perfect truth. For every person born into time, there is a corresponding ray of light a ray of divine mercy that comes from the heart of Christ. And it is in this ray of mercy that we can know him. When we turn our face into this ray of light, we are engaged in the vertical relationship with Jesus. And we then experience, sometimes all at once, and sometimes gradually, the effect of this mercy. What is the effect? Well, we are healed and we begin the process of transformation. We want to become like God. Now in this apostolate, it is clear to me that Jesus has brought to life for us the concepts of holiness. Isn't it true? We could look at this whole apostolate and all of its writings, and we could say, this is nothing new. We would be right, because the truth does not change. It is sublimely simple, and yet there are layers in it. Truth invites one into itself deeper and deeper and more completely. This is what I feel about the revelations that God sends through time into the church.
So we have this healing and then transforming effect of mercy, which is the result of love. And then what happens? Well, mercy, being what it is, we cannot hold it in. It, like the joy that comes with it, explodes out from us to others. This sharing of mercy is an impulse, a reflex. We often do not choose it or will it. It is simply instinctive in us to share it once we have received it. It becomes as instinctive as breathing. This mercy is dazzling in its scope. It's like watering a plant that is wilted. Suddenly, when one experiences God's mercy, one is restored. And if his journey to God has been arrested by pain or by sin, well, then his journey resumes. It begins again. And there's such relief in our brothers and sisters and for each one of us when we are restored to this journey. I believe, my friends, that what we are seeing now is a wave of these conversions, a wave of this healing. And this wave of grace is empowering us all to preach God's gospel with a greater boldness. For myself, I am conscious that while the times are changing, the times are remaining the same. The fact that we as a church are receiving greater understanding of God's mercy does not mean that God's mercy was imperfect in the past, but rather that God desires a greater understanding of his mercy in the future. The enemy is determined to drag us into the past. This will always be the way. But we must somehow close this door firmly in terms of Satan's harsh light. We must do this both as a church and in our personal lives. Close the door to the past. So often we can be tempted against ourselves. Many people experience self-hatred and self-condemnation The enemy shines the most terrible light of shame on people. Don't be afraid of strong emotions, dear lay apostles. Do not think that because you feel tempted to hatred against yourself or anyone else, that there is some hidden, terrifying darkness in you that is worse than anyone else. We all feel anger, and we can all be tempted to hatred. We can't condemn ourselves for our feelings or pretend that these feelings don't exist. That would be like condemning ourselves for being thirsty or denying that we are thirsty. If we're thirsty, then we're thirsty. And if we're angry and tempted to hatred, then we are angry and tempted to hatred. What I'm trying to say is this. We must know ourselves in Christ. We have to face this this interior uh, reality. Now, Jesus, in his merciful light of truth, will illuminate for us the wounds that are giving us trouble. Don't be afraid of anything. Jesus will help. But if you are tempted to condemn yourself or to hate yourself, remember 
This is the opposite of how Jesus views you. He's so compassionate. One more warning I would like to give you is that we have to know that our condemnation for ourselves will never stop with ourselves. If we condemn ourselves, we will also, by human association, be tempted to condemn others. This self-hatred, self-condemnation never stops with us. So, the readings today were so beautiful. And I'll stick to my script. Okay, I remember once a man saying to me, he said, yes, okay, I'm hard on myself. Uh, I'm hard on other people, but I'm harder on myself. And this was like his justification. You know, that it was okay to be hard on people because he was hard on himself. I, rem I remember saying, Jesus is just as, is just as displeased with your condemnation of yourself as he is with your condemnation of others. The Lord wants us to love ourselves. The scripture, here it is, I remember, said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we know how to love our neighbor, don't we? Kindness, compassion, forgiveness, gentleness. We, this is our Christian teaching. But are you each treating yourself with those same things. You can't love your neighbor unless you love yourself in that way. First, be kind to yourself, because God is kind to you. Now, lay apostles, we must turn our faces completely into this individual ray of mercy that seeks us out relentlessly. In it, we will be free from self-condemnation. We will be liberated. God expects us. He expects us to make mistakes. And we must accept his mercy and claim it for others. We make our confessions and then we leave the sins there. Leave the sin there once it's confessed. Walk away with God's mercy. That's the plan. That's the plan for healing. Sometimes in our spiritual life we become stalled. But God needs us working in a spiritual way fully, meaning we have to inhale his mercy and then reflexively share it to, uh, with others. When a child falls down on a hike, he is tempted to either stay where he is and cry or turn back. The, the adult will explain to the child that remaining in place is not an option. And if the hike is half over, there is no benefit to turning back. There is no good choice but to proceed. Sometimes the adult will pull the child to his feet and urge him forward, and the child then begins to walk. The adult does not care if the child is still crying as he begins walking, because the child can cry and walk at the same time. But if it is getting dark, the child has to move. We have to move, lay apostles. Face forward in your holiness work. Face forward in your service to the church. Advance. Anything less is a trap. I recently talked to a holy man about unity. And I explained that for unity to be achieved, we all have to move. Sometimes we think that for unity to be achieved, everyone else has to move so that they can stand where we are standing. And if they would only stand where we are standing, God's kingdom could come. We have all been guilty of this, I suspect.
But unity requires a, disposi a disposition that refuses to condemn. It refuses to condemn. Perhaps we feel we are getting it right and that we don't need to change. And maybe that's true. But what I can see is that many apostles who feel they are getting it right and who are getting it right in terms of executing the service that they have been chosen for are getting it wrong in this way. They forget to rejoice in the unique call of others. They have trouble accepting that others are also getting it right, even though others look totally different and are serving perhaps in a different spirituality in a different way. Getting it really right for the man would mean that he would keep working and also abandon the disposition that says, I'm getting it right, therefore anyone who is not serving like me must be doing it wrong. A better disposition for him and for each one of us would be, I'm grateful that I am allowed to serve alongside other people who also love God. Another good disposition would be, I thank God that the church welcomes such heavenly diversity of service. And I thank God that the church rejoices in the differences of God's children. I think often in my meandering on drawing God's children back to his heart that we will be most successful if we draw them through need. They will be more likely to come as assistants than simply as beneficiaries. Don't you see? We have to say, please help us. We need you. And this is a more loving and truthful invitation than saying, come, pitiful wretch. You know? That makes them feel that we think we're better, and we know that we're not. So it's nearly foolproof to allow a person to experience his own goodness as a means to draw that person into greatness. Every parent knows that. Often when a child experiences innate goodness, he, in wonder and hope, advances quite quickly into virtue. And we are all children. This is the mystery of the Incarnation. God is willing to work not only with us, but through us. God is willing to humble himself and pin his renewal, so to speak, on the trembling nature of our offerings. It makes one wonder, what is a saint? And really, what is a saint? I believe that a saint must simply be that person who is willing to keep working, surrounded and reproached constantly by his own imperfection. Those people who just don't let it get them down. We are all imperfect. We're getting there, my friends. I believe this apostolate fills God with rejoicing. We're so incredibly diverse, just as the heavenly kingdom is diverse. We are working beautifully together with priests, brothers, sisters, consecrated, lay, married, single people from 81 different countries. United in the spirit of God's compassion, we bring badly needed spiritual encouragement from heaven to our brothers and sisters everywhere. I'll tell you a reason, a couple reasons why I think we're getting it right. 
One is, one lay apostle was living with her boyfriend. She was given the volumes by one of us, and she started a lay apostle prayer group. God has chosen her to be a leader in this renewal. Another lay apostle experiences same-sex attraction. He considers himself a homosexual. Uh, one of us gave him the volumes, and he now uses the booklets with huge success in the gay community in a large city. God has chosen him to be a leader in his renewal. Still another lay apostle is a prisoner in a maximum security prison. One of us gave him the volumes. He was converted and started a prayer group in that prison. And God has chosen him to be a leader in this renewal. We're doing a good job. Everything is good. It's going well. And the beautiful part about it is that like the heavenly kingdom, every one of us fits in in this apostolate. We're inclusive. Back to mercy. If we accept God's mercy for ourselves each day, we will look at others in the same light that is soft and kind and eradicates judgments which emerge from our frail humanity and our very limited understanding of others. This is our fifth guideline, that we treat others with the Lord's patience and kindness. Now I'll tell you, this isn't always easy, is it? One day I tried an experiment. I decided I would treat everyone, I would study everybody that I encountered, and I would have the maximum amount of mercy, a ridiculous amount of mercy, ridiculous, just as Jesus has. And I was very excited about my experiment. So I got up the next day, I was so determined, and I almost made it to the kitchen before I judged someone harshly. I failed the test, but I decided that the experiment was flawed because it had not even occurred to me that I would be tempted against mercy in my own home. Because of this experience, I learned that it is with those closest to us that we will have to extend the most mercy because that's where we'll relax our efforts with our families and with those we work with. So I think whatever amount of mercy we're showing, we need to show more. We need to give more to ourselves and others. If each one of us did this every day, we would have unified families, unified ministries, and maybe even a unified church. In this month's message, Jesus says so beautifully, he says, I ask and I ask and again I ask. And you answer and you answer and again you answer. You are in such a habit of saying yes to me that you continue on day after day. My friends, Jesus is so grateful and he needs our help. One life, one commitment in totality has the most enormous ramifications. The amount of consolation God can bring through one life to humanity is infinite, given the Christian ripple effect. 
Who will give in totality? Who will abandon himself completely? Will it be you? Is he asking someone else or is he asking us? I think, my friends, Jesus is asking us.